I'm going to read uh, the verses, and then I'm going to read what he said about the verses. And the only reason it's not verbatim is because I've never been to Israel and saw some of the stuff that he saw. Uh, otherwise, it would be verbatim. So I'm reading from the entire lesson starts in John chapter 10. And I'll go ahead and read verse 1 and 2 and then what he said about it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door and to the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The sheepfold represents the nation Israel. Jesus is telling them that he came in by the door. He goes on to say that anyone who doesn't come by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. He says this is a tremendous claim that he is making here. Of course, he's talking about Jesus. He came in by the door. He came in legally. That is, he came in fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And the first one, he says, he came in under the law. And in Galatians 4, 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. He came in the line of David according to prophecy. Look at Luke one thirty-two if you want. I'll just read it. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He was born in Bethlehem according to prophecy. Micah 5, 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Not only was he born in the line of David, but he was born of a virgin according to prophecy. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. At the time he was born, he was a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Isaiah 11, 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. By the time Jesus was born, there was no royal line. It had dropped back to the line of the peasant. Now, anybody have any comments? Want to ask any questions that Dr. McGee could answer? Okay. Chapter 10, verse 3. To him the poor openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. Now here the porter represents the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon Jesus, and everything that he did, he did by the power of the Spirit of God. In verse 4, And when he put forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, 
word for word, this is what Dr. McGee said about the sheepfold in Israel. He said he spent some time looking over a sheepfold that was still in use at the time he was in Bethlehem. Here's the way he described it. A sheepfold is an enclosure where shepherds put their sheep for the night. The porter has charge of it. Then the shepherd spends the night in his own bed. When he comes to the uh, sheepfold in the morning, his sheep are still, excuse me, his sheep are all mixed up with somebody else's sheep. There's no brand or marking on the sheep. How does he get the sheep that are his? He simply calls them by name. The sheep don't have to be identified. They know their shepherd. Excuse me, shepherd's voice. When he starts out over the hill, his own sheep come out of the fold and follow him. Now, I've always wondered about this, and I've read it many a time over the years. It's got to be meaning, to me, it has to mean that the sheep that belong to the shepherd recognize his voice. He's not, I don't believe there's anywhere you could say that he means every sheep has a different name. But I've wondered about that many a time. I think it's just that they recognize, uh, I guess the best way to put it would be we all would recognize Pastor Elbert's voice, right? Sure we would. So we're here, we're following him. So those sheep evidently, 100, 200, 1,000, whatever, know the voice of that particular shepherd, and only the ones that belong to him are the ones that follow him. Does that make sense? It does to me. It's the only way I can understand it. And John 10, verse 5. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, <clears throat> Dr. McGee said, I believe that you can fool some of God's people some of the time, but I don't think you can fool God's people all the time. For a time, God's sheep may think they hear him, but eventually discover that it's not his voice. Then they will turn to the teaching of the Word of God because they know their shepherd. And he says, It is amazing. I've been teaching the Word of God for about 40 years and have learned again and again that when his sheep hear his voice, they will follow him. For a long time, I worried about those who will not listen to the message. I have reached the point that I don't worry about them anymore. The reason they don't hear his voice is that they are not his sheep. Wherever we find people who are eager for the Word of God, we know they are his sheep. Any comments, questions? All right, chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 6. <clears throat> this parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Now, this is confusing for me, and I'm looking at it, so I hope I can make it plain to you. Uh, the Greek word for parable is P-A-R-A-B-O-L-O. 
And the, ver- and the word in this verse is P-A-R-O-I-M-I-A, which really means it's just an allegory. Uh, the Gospel of John does not record any of the parables of our Lord. It records in metaphors and allegories such as I am the light of the world, John 8, 12, and I am the bread of life, John 6, 35. Now, if I hadn't read that commentary, I wouldn't know that there's not any parables in John because it says this parable spake he unto them. But he says the Greek word actually means an allegory or a metaphor. And it, if he says it, I almost take it thousand percent. John uh, 7 and 8, 10, 7 and 8. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Here he gives another allegory. He has spoken about the door of the sheepfold, but now he moves one more step and says that he is the door. For those coming out of Israel, they had just cast, <clears throat> then he makes a reference to chapter 9, they had just cast the blind man out of the synagogue, out of the sheepfold. Immediately the Lord Jesus had come to this man and revealed himself to him. When the Lord revealed himself to the man, he became the door for this blind man. And this man had been brought out of the sheepfold into the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him. That ought to brought a question too up, huh? <laughs> All right. Verse 9 and 10. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pastor. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus Christ is the way, is the only way, is the way out for you, and he is the way in for you and me. He has come to bring us an abundant life. The thief came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I think this is a test you can apply to a church, a religious organization, a radio program, a television program. Is it a religious racket? Is somebody getting rich out of it? Compared to the good shepherd who came to save sinners and to give us abundant life. Verse 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for a sheep, but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and cares not for the sheep. <clears throat> and every time somebody mentions the door, 
in Scripture, I immediately think of something like that, or here, or there. But Jesus is a good shepherd to give his life for the sheep, and he's the door. And how can he be the good shepherd and the door at the same time? Well, <clears throat> uh, Dr. McGee said Jesus is not only the door, but he's also the good shepherd, the one who stays in the doorway. He is the door which opens to eternal life. He is the one who protects his own. He is also the good shepherd. Jesus is also called the Lamb of God. And how can he be the Lamb of God and at the same time be the good shepherd? This may sound like mixed metaphors, but it is one of the most glorious truths in the Scripture. He is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. He came down and identified himself with us, who are the sheep, but he is the shepherd also. The fact that he became a lamb emphasizes the humanity of Jesus Christ. The fact that he is the good shepherd emphasizes the deity of Christ. He alone was worthy and able to save us. No other human being could do this. He had to be God. The Lord Jesus Christ has a threefold relationship to the flock, which is known as his church. Look back at verse 11. He's the good shepherd. And then uh, somebody look up Hebrews 13.20 and 1 Peter 5.4. I'm sorry I didn't ask sooner, but I didn't. Anybody? Hebrews thirteen twenty. And first Peter five four. Now, I'm reading more comments. He says, The hireling does not care for the sheep. Founders of some of the world religions did very little for their followers. Modern, modern cult leaders actually get rich off the people. In contrast, contrast to this, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, and he protects his own. Now, verse 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and are known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. Here's a wonderful relationship. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Now, <clears throat> Philippians 3.10.
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Then he goes on, (coughs) and he says, Not all uh, shepherds are faithful. And God tells Israel and us how he feels about the faithfulness of shepherds. Now, I'm going to turn over to Isaiah chapter 50 and Ezekiel 34. And if Isaiah 50 doesn't fit, 56, I'm sorry, 56, doesn't fit, it's because I put it in there, not Dr. McGee. And it is uh, verses 10 through 12. Speaking of false shepherds of Israel now, he says, Isaiah does, His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, the, come ye say they, I will fetch wine and will... Fill yourselves, ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. Does that sound like somebody here on TV? A radio? All right, now I'm going to turn over to Ezekiel chapter 34. And I'm going to, it's the same context as speaking of false, false uh, shepherds. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Shall not the shepherds feed the flock? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. The the diseased, have you not strengthened, neither have you uh, healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. Now, I'll just stop there. It goes on for another few verses saying the same thing. Now, anybody have any questions, comments? Come on. Better help me out here. It's going to be a long morning if you don't. Where do we stop at? Uh, I got This is the third time that he says his sheep know him. To know Jesus Christ is all important, and everything else becomes secondary. And we all said amen to that. Now, verse 16. And other sheep 
I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. There are other sheep which are not of the fold. The fold is Israel, but others will also hear his voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Did you notice the the change from flock to fold there? And that well, that's another um, Greek word they changed. And I felt like if I tried to do it twice, I'd probably mess it real up, really bad. So I didn't. But he goes on to say, uh, Someday there is to be one flock containing Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, bond and free, male and female, black and white, people from every nation and of every tongue and tribe. And he doesn't give uh, in Scripture reference, but he's quoting from Revelation, I guess. Now, verse 17 and 18 together, Jesus says, Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, he says that all of this is the will of the Father. The Father loveth him because he died for us. We also ought to love him because he died for us. Excuse me. He made his soul an offering for sin. On the cross, during those three hours of darkness, God the Father put upon him the sin of the world, and he went through hell for you and me. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He makes it very clear that he gave his life willingly. He was in full control at his trial. Also, he set the time of his death. The Jews said it shouldn't be on a feast day, lest there be an uproar, a riot of the people. But he was crucified on the feast day. He was never more kingly than when he went to the cross. Dr. McGee says that the Roman government was on trial. The nation of Israel was on trial. And you and I were on trial. Although he didn't have to die, he did it willingly for the sins of the world. And Hebrews 12, 2. Somebody read Hebrews 12, 2. Now, the comment about that verse, Mr. Sirius read, says, No man could take his life from him. He claimed power to lay it down in his life and take it again. Now, my finger got tired and my brain was hurting, so I decided to cheat and just do the rest of it by just reading. It was probably better anyway. I just got to make sure I'm on the right chapter.
Uh, now I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath the devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can the devil open the eyes of the blind? Now, this refers to the fact that he opened the eyes of the man who was born blind, and that's what I uh, meant a few minutes ago. <clears throat> the crowd there that day said, Well, a demon could never have done what he did. There's a division. Why? Because some sheep and some are sheep and some are not. Sheep will hear and others will not hear. The issue is still the same today as it was then. Either the Lord Jesus Christ was a madman or he is the Savior of the world. Either he's a demon or he is the Son of God. There's always been that division. When Paul preached at Athens, some believed and some did not. He says, when I preach, some believe and some do not. We cannot expect it to be any different. I know everybody in here is conservative. If not, I'm going to be ducking. <laughs> uh, the so-called liberal theologians are the most inconsistent and illogical people. Jesus Christ cannot be only a good teacher and a great example. He is Either a fraud or is the Son of God. Jesus Christ puts you on the horns of a dilemma. My friend, he is a madman or is your God and your Savior? <clears throat> now, verse 22. The Feast of Tabernacles was in the last part of October. The Feast of Dedication was in the last part of December. So there was a two-month interval. The feast celebrates the time when Judas Maccabeus delivered the temple from Antiochus Epiphanes and the Syrian who had polluted it. This took place in 167 B.C. and was still celebrated in our Lord's Day. As it was winter... Now... This is something I would absolutely never picked up on, but uh, that's one reason I love him so much. And it, as it was winter, Jesus is through with the nation Israel. From here on, in the Gospel of John, he talks to his own. He will not make another public call. It is now too late for the harvest. The Lamb of God is being shut up in preparation to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. He says, Friends, may I remind you that you can play at this thing too long. Winter is coming for you. There will come a day when you won't be able to witness. If you're going to do anything for Him, 
you better do it now. If you have never sincerely accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, may I remind you that winter can come for that too. There does come a time when it's too late, uh, my beloved, to be saved. You can persist in rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ so long that finally you will be unable to accept him. The prophet spoke of this eventuality. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And he's quoting from Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. I'm not turning there, and I'm not going to ask you to, but that's where it's from if you want to look at it. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. That's verse 23 and 24. There was, now he's describing the temple area, I guess, and there was a big porch out there which was for the Gentiles, those who were outside the nation Israel. Our Lord was no longer coming into the temple. It was winter, and he walked in Solomon's porch. Jesus had made his identity very clear, and those who accepted him understood that he was Messiah, the Christ. Remember that Andrew had told his brother, We have found the Messiah, John 1, 41. Nathaniel recognized him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel, John 1, 49. The Samaritan woman understood who he was, and the Samaritan men said, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that he, excuse me, that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. John 4, 42. The man healed of the blindness believed and worshipped him. Now these religious leaders with their subtle questions are actually casting the blame on him. They make it sound as if it is Jesus' fault for not giving enough information Whereas, whereas it is a lack of will to believe what God revealed to them. Well, Jesus has revealed his Messiahship to those who will hear, and now he clears it to the religious rulers. Question? Question? Jesus, verse 25 and 26. Jesus Answered them, I told you, and ye believe not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Jesus tells them that he is, excuse me, that he has the proof of his Messiahship. His works bear witness to it. He was born in the line of David, according to Scripture, or prophecy. He was introduced by John the Baptist. No man taught as he taught. No man could convict him of sin. When John the Baptist sent his disciples to find out whether Jesus was the Messiah or whether they should look for another, Jesus told them to go back and tell John the Baptist the things that he was doing. 
then John the Baptist would know that he had the credentials of the Messiah. You see, his teaching demonstrates that he was the Messiah. His life demonstrated it, and his miracles demonstrated it. The problem was not in the lack of credentials. The problem was the unbelieving heart. The fact that they did not believe demonstrated they were not his sheep. That's the negative side. Now he states the positive side. And this is verse 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. John 10, 27 through 30. His sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. The brand of ownership on the sheep is obedience. Do you want to know whether a person is saved or not? Then see if he is obeying Christ. Our ears must be open uh, to his voice. The hearing and the seeing, the Lord made even both of them. Proverbs 20:12. He says, I know them. I'm glad. Somebody knows me, aren't you? I am sometimes misunderstood, and I have to explain myself to people. However, I never need to explain anything to him. He knows when I'm putting up an excuse. He knows when I'm evading an issue. He understands me and knows me. And they follow me. I believe in the eternal security of the believer and the insecurity of make-believers. They follow me. It's just that simple. If the shepherd called his sheep one morning and started up the hill, and out of 500 sheep in the sheepfold, 100 came out and followed him, then I would conclude that those 100 were his sheep, and I'd also conclude that the 400 were not his sheep. Any questions? Comments? Well, I got a question. I want you to be honest. Not me. I know I can't teach very well. But do you like Doc McGee's commentary? I think he's absolutely wonderful. I listen to him three times a day and sometimes four. You can't tell it by hearing me talk, but some of it sinks in. I absolutely love it. Uh, Let me see if I can find where we stopped here. Uh, I'm going to pick up here in this commentary. I forgot where I stopped. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Friends, when he gives to them eternal life, that means they don't earn it. They don't work for it. He gives it to them. Note, that is eternal life. It is forever. If it plays out in a week or in a year or until they sin, then it's not eternal life after all. They are not really his sheep. If the sheep does not last forever, the sheep may be in danger, but the shepherd will protect them. They may be scattered, but he will gather them up again. They shall never perish. May they backslide? Yes. Will they perish? No. 
The sheep may get into a pig pen, but there has never yet been a sheep in a pig pen that stayed in the pig pen. Sheep and pigs do not live together. The sheep is always a sheep. No man can pluck that sheep out of the Savior's hand. No enemy, no man, no created being can pluck them out of his hand. This is wonderful. One time a fellow gave me the argument that one can jump out of his hand. His hand because we are free in moral agents. Listen to the passage. It actually says, No eternal thing can pluck them out of my hand. He is the shepherd. He is God. If you think you can jump out, the Father puts his hand right down on you, and you can't do any jumping. Brother, he's got you, and you can't get loose. Both hands of deity, no created thing, can take the sheep out of his hand. All right. Years ago, a Texas rancher told me about sheep. I probably shouldn't read this, but I am because I'm a sheep too. Years ago, a Texas rancher told me about sheep. He said he had 2,000 sheep, and someone had to be watching them all the time. If two little sheep go over the hill and get half a mile from the flock, they're lost. They cannot find their way back by themselves. The only way in the world they can be safe is for the shepherd to be there. If a wolf would come up and eat one of the little sheep, you'd think Joe would be smart enough to say, he ate my little brother, so I'll go back over the hill and join the flock. No, he doesn't know where to go. All he does is go by and run around and wait to be deserted for the wolf. The sheep is stupid. Neither has a sheep any way to defend himself. Sheep can't even outrun his enemy. If a sheep is safe, it's not because the sheep is clever or smart. It is because he has a good shepherd. When I say to you that he gives me eternal life and I shall never perish, you may accuse me of bragging. No, my friend, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm bragging about my shepherd. I have a wonderful shepherd. He won't lose any of his sheep. If he starts out with 100, he'll end up with, he will not end up with 99. If one gets lost, he'll go out and find it. None will be lost. Then he says that he and the Father are one. He claims to be God. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? The Jews answered him, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Because thou art being a man, maketh the self God. John ten thirty one through thirty three. <clears throat> there is one thing that is sure, and that day those who heard him understood that he made himself God. He produced his credentials. There is no way they could deny his miracles. He healed people by the thousands, and there is no denying the evidence. They accused him of blasphemy. They accuse him of calling himself God, and do you know that is exactly what he is, or excuse me, was doing? <clears throat> and then 34 through 38, we'll be done. 
Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, Ye are gods? If you call them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified, and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, thou believe uh, not me, believe the works that ye may know, and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. Their accusation was that he was a man making himself God. He quotes to them Psalm 82, 6, I have said, Ye are gods, and ye are children of the Most High. Men are called to be the children of God, but Jesus is unique because he is the man whom the Father has sanctified. He is the one who has been set apart. He is different from any other man in the world. He has been sent on a mission. The world into the world. He is the Father, and the Father is in him. He is in the Father, and the Father is in him. Therefore, sought again to... Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away beyond Jordan to the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him there. John the Baptist did no miracles, but he bore a true testimony to the Messiah. And Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. He is one who, has, who was to come. What think you of Christ? This is a way to test your position. You can't be right in any of the rest unless you are right and you're thinking about him. What think you of Christ? If you are his sheep, you'll hear his voice. If you are not, you will not hear him. His voice will be drowned out in the babble of voices speaking to you. His sheep are able to hear the Son of God. Any questions? Any comments? Keep the negative until the pastor gets back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give your people uh, Dr. McGee's lesson and uh, pray for our pastors, his way that he be refreshed and kept safe till he comes home. Thanks to all those here and the ones that will come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Dr. McGee's good. If you just pull him up on the computer or get your radio.